Dr. Jacobina, can you describe a typical day for you and your job? A typical day? A typical day is uh, not typical, as probably most EMBA directors would attest to that. Uh, it could mean working with teams of students, uh, faculty, recruiting, um, going to luncheons where we're hosting students. Classes begin at 2 o'clock on Friday, so students start arriving around 12.30 or so, and slowly they, sh- they start meeting with their teammates. Uh, they have coffee, they have uh, some food before they go into the class. Okay, well, Friday I go to work like I do every other day, except I leave right after lunch. It's only a 10-minute drive, but I try to take about an hour to kind of switch gears so I get here and get, get ready. We are in class until 9 o'clock on Fridays, 9 o'clock at night. I'm Catherine Girardot for MBA Podcaster, and this is A Day in the Life at the Executive MBA Program at Virginia Tech. It's noon on a Friday, a typical day at Virginia Tech's EMBA program. Students are starting to trickle into the cafeteria to nosh on enticing catered delicacies, chat with their fellow students, and get caffeinated for their long day of classes. The steady supply of snacks is just one of the many things staff at Virginia Tech's EMBA program do to help busy professionals transition from work to another weekend as MBA students. Let's meet the program's executive director, Dr. Charles Jacobina. The structure focuses on uh, every other weekend for 18 months, uh, designed for people who are working full-time, Uh, Over the 18 months, they take the standard MBA curriculum, but then we have a heavier focus on leadership in a global economy. Assistant Director Karime Shamlu. The cohorts in our executive MBA program at Virginia Tech are very diverse. We have applicants that come with international backgrounds. We have female students. We have people that represent all sorts of industries. And at the same time, so many different educational backgrounds are represented when they apply to the program. They're the type of student that wants to learn something on a Friday and Saturday and apply it on Monday. So you have to keep the program fresh. You have to keep it current. And the students will challenge you to do that. Dr. Sitar Mansi, who teaches corporate finance in the EMBA program, can attest to that. The students bring in a whole host of knowledge from because they work in a variety of industries. And we have in this area the defense industry, we have the telecommunication industry, we have a high-tech industry, we have an aeronautic industry. So you have really a whole host of firms that come in. These students bring in a lot of expertise. And, you know, I benefit from those expertise because I gain knowledge about the industries where they actually work and they, and they operate. One example of how Virginia Tech's professors bring the real world into the classroom is Dr. Virginia Gerdes' class, Ethical Leadership in a Global Context. She's teaching the Great Falls cohort this evening. These students are in the first weeks of their 18-month program. Let's listen in. The picture is now moving more towards management of risk (coughs) in a variety of areas, um, but also in terms of corporations. Some of them want to see the immediate return you know, if, if I invest in green technology, I want to see the return in a year or two or three. Some people might be, okay, I'll invest in education because it helps the community, it makes my employees feel better. Um, or they may give money in a crisis such as to Haiti. Well, how much, how much value can you tie to the money they gave to Haiti? Pretty hard. It's pretty much an indirect advantage you get from reputation, 
um, from the goodwill of your employees, uh, a variety of things. Now, why companies match contributions from employees? If you're uh, lucky enough to work at a company that matches your contributions to your undergraduate institution, and then your graduate institution, um, why do they match it? To get their name out there, it's a tax break. It also makes you feel good as an employee, right? Like they actually yeah. care about you. Yeah. Yeah. It also helps when it comes time to be an employer of choice at the university. It doesn't hurt uh, the fact that they gave X amount in matching donations to the university. So I'm not I'm not trying to sound cynical, you know, like like Jason and Ramona. Dr. Barbara Hoop's Module 5 class, Managing the Global Supply Chain, is for the Blue Ridge cohort. They're in the home stretch of the program with just four months to go, but this is the first class of the module for them. So you've got the text. It's just a, you know, not much, but it's a little something to uh, walk us through. Mostly I'm going to rely on um, articles, and then there will be a couple of cases that we'll use. So there were four articles that were, per that were posted for today's class. Um, so let's look at the syllabus real quick, just so we can um, get on the same page. Uh, this is a work in progress. Um, I changed up the articles at the last minute when I was pulling together this weekend's stuff, so that may happen for weekend two, but I'll get them posted as soon as I can. So by the end of this weekend, I hope to have weekend two stuff up, and it may or may not have exactly the same titles as are on here, but I'll let you know. Um, and then the two cases um, that will be sort of the core of the weekend two stuff, you probably get by now that these students have a heavy workload. Completing an MBA is difficult enough if you're a full-time student. What's it like for these mid-career professionals who go to school on the weekends? Melanie Yeager is a senior-level instructional designer and manager at Task Incorporated, a government consulting company in the D.C. area. She's also a triathlete, and that athletic multitasking comes in handy to an EMBA student at Virginia Tech. Uh, during the week with working roughly 10-hour days, it makes it very difficult, for me at least, to do a lot of the heavy research and writing assignments. I do a lot more of the reading prep work in the weeknights. Uh, so that doesn't leave much for a social life on the weekends right now. <laughs> Richard Teal is a web application developer with Booz Allen. Despite the fact that his company supports his studies as one of the corporate partners of the Virginia Tech program, he's still just trying to balance the workload and then a family too. I've got uh, two kids, young kids that are demanding as well. Brian Boyle is a director with FedEx Corporation where he's worked for 14 years. From a professional standpoint I have obviously the support of my company for the flexibility to be able to be out of work but also manage the different programs and projects as well as my travel schedule to accommodate if I need to fly back for class and whatnot. One of the things that I, I like to tell everybody is that with a family, um, if you do have a family or you know even a significant other, the one part of the EMBA program is that they are getting the degree and the certification as well as you. Going into it, the family needs to understand that it is a time requirement. There's late nights, there's times away meeting with your uh, group that you may be working with. I miss, at times, uh, things that kill me to miss. Uh, Father-daughter dance, it could be my son's t-ball game, swim meets, but the beauty, like I said again, is they understand that, they know that, but they also know that the following weekend, 
I'm going to be there. And so those weekends are really reserved for them. And um, I do a lot of my work at night um, after my regular job. But during the weekends, I really, when I'm not in class, try to reserve that time, especially Sundays, for just my family. More than one student I talked with said the intensity of the EMBA program creates bonds within their teams that sometimes feel like family. Brian Boyle. The Blue Ridge cohort, I would consider them an extension of my family. You look to them for help. They're also within the cohort. You're assigned to specific teams, and those teams are the teams that make or break you. Assistant Director Karime Shamlu explains how the staff creates the teams. We make sure that we don't put two CPAs in the same team or two engineers on the same team. We try to balance the teams out um, so that everyone has the same opportunity of expressing how he or she works in certain environments. When we're putting teams, uh, we also consider the results provided by the Kiersey Soder, the Myers-Briggs. Uh, so we make sure that we don't have three introverts or four introverts in the same team. Nick Scalise compares his team experience at school with his finance position with GE Capital. As far as challenges, it's not only just different industries that our team are a part of, but it's also what you experience internally with your own organizations. You have cultural differences, you have personality differences, you have workload and timing, and then you've got life things. I mean, you've got, you've got weddings, you've got children, you've just got you know, life that, that just changes on a daily basis. So you incorporate all those things, and it's very real to what you experience in the real world in your career. So there's a very close tie with what you'll experience here with what you can absolutely apply into your career. Robert Doolittle, a professional communicator for a Fortune 500 company, said working within his team exercises all his considerable communication skills. Our team, we have a regularly scheduled Tuesday night video chat where we, uh, we're all on, on iChat. We're together 8 o'clock Tuesday night. That's where we get back together. We look at what homework we have to do. We look at what team assignments we have. We divvy up responsibilities and, and get to work because it's a real quick two weeks before you're back in class again. So. Doolittle explained that at the beginning of the program, all the team members have to sign a contract governing their behavior as individuals within their team. And we all have a contract. One of the first things you have to do is negotiate this contract in terms of, okay, I, I'm not going to be available to meet on, you know, on this day any earlier than this hour, or we're going to meet every week, or you, know, you sort of work out the terms of what you think is going to be the way you want to work together. Uh, and everybody signs on the dotted line before you get started. So you've got, a, you've got an agreement that you can say, okay, you ain't pulling your load. Here's what you said you were going to do if it gets to that. Um, and we, we haven't had that issue. So. Sounds pretty real world. It's very real world. I do a lot of team-based projects at work, and there are people who contribute above and beyond, and there are those who you're always kind of dragging along. My teammates are great, but, you know, we have different strengths, and so um, each of us contributes in our own way, but there are times where you wish you could pull a little more out of somebody to, uh, to kind of move the ball forward. So it's, it's just like the real world because you have to get it done. It doesn't matter. When, when all four names are on the top of the paper, it doesn't matter who did what. Everybody gets judged on the end product. So you have to make the decision about, do I put in the extra effort to make this as good as I know it can be, even if somebody else isn't working quite so hard, because in the end, we're all getting judged on the product, not on the process. 
and that's very real world. You know, ultimately, if a project fails at work, everybody who was on the team gets blamed. You know, so same thing here. During the dinner break, I sat down with one of the teams from the Great Falls cohort to try to get a sense of how a team from very diverse backgrounds comes together to solve cases and get all that coursework done. I think we might still be working on it. With each with each group project, we we've tried different means to complete it, whether it be you know, each person take one slice of it and then we'll include it all together. Or somebody's the project manager or we'll break it up and two people serve as a sub-team whilst two others serve as another sub-team. And it really changes project to project. It has changed project to project. We haven't, we're trying out all the different options. I think it was interesting in the beginning. I mean, you really don't know each other very well. And then you're new to school, and then you're new to the subject matter, and it's just trying to, like, figure it out and how to, like, best utilize everybody. And um, that was the challenge, I think, the first few weeks more than anything, and then it got a little bit easier as you went along. We do rely on technology a lot as part of this team exercises. Uh, we use iChat a lot of times, uh, talk over, do video chats, and we also share documents on the internet and uh, share folders that Steve set up for the team. So we use that as a repository for all our homeworks and assignments. So we do rely on a lot of technologies because we all live in different areas, even though we are all from this Northern Virginia. So that's helping us a lot. In fact, the Virginia Tech EMBA program's unique partnership with Apple Computer is one of the things that sets the program apart, says director Charles Jacobina. We embrace technology. We are Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech traditionally has been known for their technology innovation. So six years ago when I came here, I expressed interest in forming a partnership with Apple, which we did. And since that time, partnership has grown. We give each student a MacBook Pro and also a touchscreen iPod. Why do we do this? One, the computers are now cross-platform. They also provide built-in video chat, and that's very helpful to our students who are working full-time that perhaps would rather meet with their team uh, virtually to discuss cases and projects. They can share documents live. They can also tape the sessions on their iPods. They can download articles from uh, The Economist, from Wall Street Journal, and they can listen to those in their car while they're commuting. Melanie Yeager. For my group, the Apple technology is, is very helpful because I have a couple of team members who are located on opposite sides of the northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. area, so we don't always get to interact with each other in person very easily. So we use the Apple iChat capability, which is a video conferencing technology that or software that we're allowed to log four people in at a time, which is what we have in our group is four people, one person will be the facilitator and then call up the other people. Uh, and that allows us to have team meetings virtually. I understand they give you iPods. How, how would you use uh, an iPod besides to unwind or use during your workout? <laughs> sure. sure. Um, I, we've used the iPods um, for podcastings. Uh, some of the professors have chosen to introduce themselves and the courses uh, prior to the beginning of courses using podcasts. 
so we can, you know, get a little bit of insight that way. We've also been um, asked by some professors to, to download various podcasts and other resources that will facilitate with our team discussions uh, or group discussions in, in class time. You can tell by now that these students are practically superhuman, balancing full-time jobs, their personal lives, and this very demanding 18-month program. Why did they do it? It's one of those things that I've always wanted to do, and I think I got to the point in my career, you know, I've, I've progressed fairly quickly, um, but this is something that I knew whether I stay with my current company or look at options outside the company wanted to have as a resource. Working with other professionals, I felt that it would help me to be better prepared to, to lead organizations. That's ultimately what I'm looking to do is to become a leader within my company, to offer ways to better run an organization and help an organization succeed. I've been working for about 25 years, but I think I have probably another 20 years to go. And so I'm kind of looking at this as sort of a mid-career update. I mean, we all hope we'll retire before we reach, you know, our mid-60s, but reality is probably not. And so I kind of feel like I needed some new tools in my tool bag to continue to progress in my career or to find new ways to create value for myself or for my company. Executive Director Charles Jacobina explains what he sees as the value of an MBA to mid-career professionals. I look at a person's career as you would a product life cycle. And when you get into your late 30s, if you haven't made a decision to go back and get an MBA, you better do so quickly. Many of our students come in with advanced degrees, some with masters, some with PhDs. Those have been in technical fields, computer science or engineering. The product life cycle for that technical degree has run its course and they see themselves getting passed over for general management positions. And I ask students, do you want to go from managing things in process to managing people? And yes, then that's why you need a general management degree, which is the degree of choice, is still the MBA. If you've been working 12 to 15 years, you have a certain comfort zone. You know the terminology, you know the culture, you just know that type of organization. But there's something eating at you when you get to be in your late 30s, early 40s, if you haven't reached the next level. And you might reflect and say, what do I need to do to get to that next level? EMBA programs focus on experiences in the classroom and out of the classroom, not just the MBA degree. And that's the biggest difference between just getting a degree and having an experience. And that experience will stay with you your entire career then after you leave here. One of the peak experiences for many Virginia Tech EMBA students is the international residency they take after completing all their coursework. Because of the program's focus on leadership in the global economy, this overseas trip really brings the entire program together for its soon-to-be graduates. It's a two-credit course. They have to complete a blog, which on our website you'll find a number of examples of those blogs to countries in Asia, in Europe, and in South America, where we've gone. They also have to write an executive memo back to their company 
outlying some aspect of the trip which their company might benefit from because we do go to countries that are emerging markets and there might be an opportunity there to develop a new product or a new service. For example, we just returned from Vietnam and Hong Kong. Richard Thiel, who just finished the program, shares his impressions. Hong Kong was, of course, more like New York City. The business environment, the laws and such are very similar to, to what we're used to. Now, in Vietnam, it was a lot different because it, it is a communist country and there's still a lot of corruption there and, and stuff. So it's a little bit more of a challenging environment, but there are companies there, such as we went to IDG Ventures. They help uh, entrepreneurs get started in Vietnam with the businesses. Like I said, I really was surprised with the IT uh, business climate there. And also just some of the challenges that we talked about in class, we were able to, to get more in-depth answers to while we were there. Teal had earned his capstone experience, but everyone else I talked to was still in the trenches. Before they all went home to study, sleep, and get ready for their full day of Saturday classes, I asked them to share a piece of advice for prospective students. I would say go for it. Just 19 months of your life, it goes very fast. It's, it's, it's a very difficult period of time but it is 100% worth it in the end. I have already myself been awarded with a promotion as a result of the program. It set me just ahead of some of my other colleagues that I was in competition for for the position. For any of those people out there that say, you know, it may not be the right time, I would tell you that it's never the right time. So engage in it if you're serious about getting involved. It's been a great networking opportunity, really, to get to know other professionals. One of my classmates is in my industry. He's not in my team. And we've decided we're going to set up a business meeting and begin working together during our program to talk about how we can collaborate and do some business together. Do it now or you're not going to do it. It is a lot of work. You can do it. If they accept you into the program, you're, you know, they, they've got a good screening program here. I think if they, they screen you and say you're going to be able to do it, you're going to be able to do it. So, uh, you know, put that behind you and just get it done uh, would be the biggest thing. Advice, I would say don't wait. There's probably a never a great time to, you know, there's always a reason why, oh, I have to wait. I have young children in my case, or I'm going to change companies, or I'm, I'm transitioning in my career. I don't think there's ever a perfect time to enter into a program. Now is the right time to do it because there is no better time than the present. Just another day in the life at Virginia Tech's Executive MBA program. For MBA Podcaster in Falls Church, Virginia, I'm Catherine Girardot.